0: Well, today we are in our sixth and final week of our series, Unstoppable Church. I know that you have been watching diligently uh, online with pastor and, and, and staying with us through this series. And today we are looking at the mission of the church. You know, one of the things that I am really quite proud of here at New Beginnings and encouraged by, one of the things I love the most about our church is that we are a church on mission. We're a church on mission, and I want to tell you that has never been more uh, evident than in the last 10 or 11 weeks, than in these last two and a half and three months where we haven't been together. You have continued to lean in. You have served our community well. You have served our city well, and you have stayed on mission, and I just want to tell you, thank you. Thank you. I am very grateful for that, and it has been a blessing to our city But when we look at what the mission of the church is, Jesus gave us our mission, right? He gave it to us in Matthew 28. And we're not going to turn there and and read it, but we know at the end of Matthew 28, Jesus is resurrected. He's about to ascend to heaven. But before he does, he gives his disciples kind of their final marching orders. And we call it the great what? The great commission, right? And he uses this curtain call moment to put his church on mission. And what he charged us to do, what he gave us to pursue was a life on mission that is motivated by the gospel. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them. That's the first part of the great commission, which means go share the gospel, go live your life on mission, motivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what is the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus came to save sinners, and aren't you glad? That's the gospel. It's that we were dead in our sins, we were separated from God, but Jesus came to make us alive and restore us back to God. That's the message. And listen, the gospel is the message of the church, and our mission is to advance that message. Are you with me? The gospel is the message of the church. And our mission is to advance that message. And we cannot divorce this mission of Jesus from the message of Jesus because without the gospel, there is no great commission, right? There is no great commission. And in the second part of the great commission, Jesus says, so he says, I want you to go. I want you to Baptize, make disciples, and then he says, I want you to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you to observe. Jesus says, I want you to teach them to live the way I've taught you to live, to obey the way I've taught you to obey, to prioritize your life the way I've taught you to prioritize your life. Now, think about that for just a moment. These disciples who've been with Jesus for three years, they've been with the greatest teacher. In the history of humanity that will ever live, they've been with him for three years. And, and Jesus says, hey, you know all that stuff that I've taught you over the last three years, all those things that just completely blew your mind and wrecked your world and turned your world upside down on its ear, you know all those things? I want you to go teach that to every person on the planet. I, I, I just got a sneaky feeling. I, I could just hear Peter saying, oh, man, I wish I would have taken better notes. <laughs> right? That's how I would feel. Oh, man, I'm going to leave something out. I missed something. right? He's saying, I want you to go teach them everything that I've commanded you to every person on the planet. That's our mission, and that is a daunting task. So the question is, what are we to do? What are we to do? And I think the way that we lean into that command and that mission is we, we turn our eyes and we fix our eyes on the command that is at the heart of every command we fix our eyes on the command that is at the heart of every command and we see that in matthew chapter 22 so grab your bible and go there with me matthew chapter 22 and what i want us to to discover is what is at the heart of the mission of god what is at the heart of this gospel mission you know multiple times jesus was asked to to say what the greatest commandment was, right? He was asked to sum up what was most important. And this is one of those moments. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he, Jesus, in verse 37, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to this. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus said the entire law, everything from the Old Testament, every imperative in the New Testament, everything that Jesus says I have come to fulfill, is summed up and completely dependent upon these two things. Loving God and loving our neighbor. This is the great commandment. And these two things are intrinsically linked to one another. What do I mean by that? I mean, loving God leads to loving people. Loving God is going to lead you to love people. Why? Because when we love God, when we have been, when we have been transformed by gospel love and have, and have become to love the image of God, we love that image everywhere we find it. When we love God, we love what God loves so that it is impossible to love God and not love people. You can't do that. It's not, it's not possible. And you say, well, Pastor Matt, I think I've got it worked out. I think I can actually do it pretty good. Well, I would tell you, If you don't love people, then you got to backtrack to whether or not you actually love God. Because what I see in God's word is, if I love God, I'm going to love his image everywhere I see it. I'm going to love people. These are intrinsically linked to one another. I think this is why Jesus said, they are going to know you are my disciples. They're going to know you belong to me. They're going to know you've experienced this gospel love by what? By how you love one another. I think this is why uh, 1 John chapter 4 says, hey, brothers, let us love one another because love comes from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But then he says, listen to this, but the one that does not love, the one that doesn't love his neighbor, doesn't know God because God is love. That's 1 John 4, 7 and 8. So what does this look like then? What does this loving God with all my heart, my soul, my mind and loving my neighbor as myself, what does that look like? What does it look like for me to love the world around me, for me to truly love my neighbor as myself? And I think we get a picture of it in Luke chapter 10. That's the next place I want you to go. Luke chapter 10, I promise we won't move around much after that. Luke chapter 10, once again, we see Jesus in a back and forth with the religious leaders, and they're working hard to try and trap him in his words. They were always trying to do this, and this is a conversation. Before they get to where we're going to read, they were talking about taxes and other stuff where they were just trying to trap Jesus, because if they can trap him in his words, they can disqualify him uh, from being who he said he was. And so, once again, he's in this back and forth with the religious leaders, and let's look at the conversation that starts in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered the lawyer, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. See, it wasn't that this lawyer was struggling with knowing what to do, it's that that head knowledge hadn't transformed his heart. Because look what it says now in verse 29, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now this is really the trap question right here. This is the trap question. Because, you see, if this lawyer can get Jesus to say that someone is my neighbor, that God's word somewhere along the way has maybe called unclean or something like that, if they can trap him into saying that someone is the neighbor who God's word says, uh, who, who they've assumed God's word says is unclean, then they've caught him and they can disqualify him. But I want you to see what God says. He says, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied in verse 30. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Then look at what Jesus asked. Which of these three do you think? proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, then you go and do likewise. You know, one of the things I I don't think we can afford to miss in this very familiar story, we've all heard the story of the good Samaritan. And by the way, when we hear it, we're often taught, be more like the Samaritan and yes there is some truth in that but this is also a picture of the gospel which is we were the ones helpless on the side of the road until Jesus came and invaded our space and did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves but one of the things we can't afford to miss here is that Jesus made the hero of the story a Samaritan a Samar- Now why is that important? Because when he told this story he was standing in the middle of Jewish spiritual leaders. And there was an enormous hatred between Jews and Samaritans. And it was a hatred that was primarily driven by and perpetuated by the Jewish people. They considered the Samaritans spiritually unclean. They considered them um, uh, culturally compromised and disgraced. They considered them socially inferior And this was a generational issue. This was something that sparked up in the Jews about 600 B.C. and was handed down one generation to another, this enormous amount of racism and bigotry between these two groups. And yet Jesus is using this broken relationship between the Jews and Samaritans to paint a picture of how gospel love transcends even the deepest hatred. Jesus is teaching us that if we are going to love our neighbor as ourselves, if we're going to live on mission with a gospel love, that has to be a love without limits. It is a love without limitations. So what does gospel love look like? What are the markers of gospel love? Let me give you gospel love in four Words here's the first one that I think we see in this story, and that is compassion. Compassion. Look at verse thirty-three again. It says, "But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had what? He had compassion on him. Just like the priest, just like the Levi, It says the Samaritan saw him, but unlike them, he had compassion." He had compassion. He was moved to action. And this is what is at the heart of this word in God's word. What's at the heart of this word, compassion, is feeling something so deeply, feeling it in my guts so strongly that I simply can't move on. I just can't move on. This is what gospel love produces in us. It produces a compassion, a feeling in our guts that moves us to action. And listen, if you follow the arc of scripture, this is something Jesus did everywhere he went. Everywhere he went, he was engaging people with compassion. And so for us, for his bride, for his church, for his disciples, whether it is Slavery or poverty or racism or human trafficking or gender inequality or just the lostness of my neighbor. Gospel love should produce a compassion in me. You know, one of the things I notice about this Samaritan is that when he found this man broken and beaten, half dead, Jesus said, You know what question he didn't ask? How'd you get in that situation? You know what question he didn't ask? What's the context of that right there? What did you do to deserve that? That never came up. You want to know why? Because compassion doesn't ask that question. Compassion says, I see injustice, I see suffering, I see hurting, and I am going to do something about it. That's what, Gospel love stirs up in us. It doesn't look away. It doesn't ignore. It doesn't just move on. It doesn't just change the channel. It was an offering, excuse me, an author named Frederick Buechner, who said this. He said, "Compassion is sometimes the fatal capacity for feeling what it is like to live inside somebody else's skin. It is the knowledge." That there can never really be any peace and joy for me until there is peace and joy finally for you too. That's compassion. And that's what the Samaritan did. He was so moved in his guts that he couldn't just move on. He had to do something about the suffering. Compassion is a marker of gospel love. Here's the second word I think we see, and that is proximity. Proximity. Look at verse 34. It says, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Now, don't miss those first four words of uh, verse 34. It says, he, the Samaritan, went to him, the man who was hurting. Why is this so important? Because this demonstrates that compassion was more than a, a passing feeling. It was more than feeling sorry for him. He didn't stand on one side of the road and say, hey, if you can get up and come over here, there may be something I can do for you. If you'll get up out of where you are and prove your worth by coming toward me, maybe I can I can do something to help you. No, he drew near to him. He drew near him he saw the hurting and he drew near to stop it he drew near to that need that he saw and this is what jesus did everywhere we see jesus in the gospel he is drawing near to meet needs of the people who are helpless and hurting why because the gospel will always listen the gospel will always put us in proximity to people who are hurting if you are living out the gospel If you are loving God, and that is pouring over into a love for your neighbor, if you are living out the gospel, it will always put you in proximity to people who are suffering and hopeless. I think it's impossible, it's impossible for us to say that we love people and then to be indifferent to their suffering. Jesus demonstrated this. He was driven by this gospel love, and it moved him to live uh, his earthly life always in proximity to hurting people. He was always near the outcast and the less thans. And aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? This is why Jesus would look at little children who had no real value in the society and say, no, I want you to let those children come to me. This is why Jesus didn't recoil at the touch from the woman who had the issue of bleeding, even though everyone else who would, had put her away. This is why Jesus had no fear of going and touching the lepers who were social outcasts, because he was drawn toward them. He was drawn to those who were helpless. And listen, isn't this what he did for us? What is the gospel if it is not that Jesus changed his proximity to save me. Jesus changed where he was to meet me where I was in my hopelessness, and when he got there, he didn't say, Matt, how'd you get in that situation? He said, no, I love you, you are hopeless, and I'm gonna engage you where you are with compassion and change your life. Jesus changed his proximity because of the love he had. Gospel love changes our proximity it moves us to action i think this is why in matthew 2 jesus said i, I didn't come to to be with the sick but to be with the well he said i came to call sinners and sick people that's why i'm here i'm here to get in the middle of those who are hurting pastor todd reminded me this is why the first word of the great commission is what go the first word of the Great Commission is not look, see, wait, hope. The first word is go. Move from where you are to where they are. Why? Because proximity, drawing near to people, is always a marker. Gospel, love. So compassion, proximity. Here's the third word I see. Inconvenience. Look at verse 34. Second half of that verse. Says so he went to him. He bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. It says the Samaritan set this Jewish man, his social enemy, if you will, on his own animal, which means he got off and he walked. Now you go. Well, that doesn't really seem like a big deal. Walking's not hard. That's true until you consider what the road from jerusalem to jericho was like It was rocky. It was mountainous. It was also dangerous filled with criminals We can see here who beat this man almost to death and oh by the way, there was over 15 miles of that between these two cities It wasn't a smooth paved road with a buckies on the way is what i'm saying Okay, we kind of get this idea that it's just this easy trot, you know in 30 minutes. We're there No it's 15 and a half miles of very dangerous road, and yet this Samaritan gets off his animal, puts the other man on his animal, and walks him there. You know, about, gosh, 18 years ago when our daughter was a baby, little, um, you know, she was still in the car seat, you carry her around in the baby carrier, and I had her in the vehicle one day. I don't know where we were going. We were up around Mount Pleasant, Carrie and I were serving in a church at this time, and I was on Highway 49, and I had a great dad moment, which is with my sweet baby in the car, I ran out of gas. And uh, I was on the side of the road about three miles from any gas station, and listen, this was pre-cell phone for me, okay? I wasn't like the cool kids like you guys. I didn't have a cell phone 20 years ago. And so I'm on the side of the road with a baby and no gas, And, oh, by the way, it's August, and it is surface of the sun hot outside, all right? And so here I am on the side of this road, and I'm like, one day I will tell her mother about this, but it ain't today. I'm not telling her today. She ain't going to hear about this. So I got to figure out, what am I going to do? I've got my baby. I'm I'm kind of out in the middle of nowhere. It's going to be a bit of a walk. And so I did the only thing I could do. I took her out of the car and um, started walking the three miles. Down Highway 49 in August with a baby. And uh, it wasn't cool. It was warm. And listen, car after car after car passed me by. One after another just drove by. And I was like, man, I wish somebody would stop. This is going to be a long walk. Car after car after car. And finally, this little SUV pulls up in front of me and stops. And when I get up to it, there's a lady who's driving, and she has her child in the car with her. Now, she confessed to me, had I not been carrying that little car seat, she wasn't going to stop. So she really stopped for Kelsey, not for me, but the point is, she saw that I was in need, and she stopped, and she pulled over, and she let me put Kelsey in, and I got in, and she took us to the gas station where I went in and bought a gas can, and then here's what she did next. When I came out, she was still in the parking lot because she loaded me and the baby back up and drove us back to our vehicle down the road so that we could put gas in the car and, and get to where we were going. What's the point? This lady put her life on pause and was a massively inconvenienced by my stupidity and my ignorance, and she still engaged in, in and allowed herself to be inconvenienced to serve me and my daughter. And this is what gospel love looks like. It, it shifts our vision and it makes us see, it moves us to put the love of our own convenience to death so that we can meet the needs of someone else. That's what gospel love does. I think this is what Jesus meant when he said that we have to consider the needs of others as more important than our own. I think this is what he meant when he said, he, whoever wants to be greatest in my kingdom must serve the least of all. Because gospel love is going to move us to be inconvenienced for the sake of someone else. And listen, the mission of God, this great commission that we've received from Jesus to go and tell and make disciples and baptize and teach them to observe, this mission is not a convenient mission. It is going to have interruptions. It is going to have discomfort. It's going to involve risk. It is going to be inconvenient. And we cannot say that we want to see the world know the love of Jesus, but be unwilling to set aside our own comfort to give it to them. Are you with me? I don't think we'll ever reach our city, and we won't ever see the city transformed and the world impacted by the gospel unless we are willing to be inconvenienced and loving our neighbor means I'll set aside my comfort. I'll set aside my convenience in order to love my neighbor. So compassion and proximity, inconvenience. Here's the fourth word that I think we see. We see it in verse 35. It says, And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Man. Don't miss the sacrifice this Samaritan is making for someone he doesn't know. And he, he gives sacrificially and he essentially leaves a blank check with the innkeeper saying, whatever it takes to make sure he has what he needs, do it and I will repay you. He leaves this blank check and this is a picture of gospel love. Gospel love says that I'm willing to do without For the sake of others in need, it means being willing and ready to offer my time and my resources and my freedom and my money and yes, maybe even my life for the sake of the gospel. I think this type of living was probably what Jesus had in mind. You remember when he called his disciples and he said, You're gonna have to take up a cross, you're gonna have to deny yourself. Remember that? And then take up a cross and what? And follow me. I think he's talking about this kind of loving your neighbor. I think this is, this is what he meant in John 15 when he said, Greater love has no man than this, than he what? Lay down his life for his friends. This is, this is how we love our neighbor. And listen, the mission of the church is one of sacrifice. But when it is born out of gospel love, hear me, it is a sacrifice of praise and of joy and of gladness because we are filling, fulfilling the highest command to love God and love our neighbor. You know, I think there is anything we need as believers in America. It's these four words right now. We need compassion we need proximity to draw near. We need to be willing to be inconvenienced and to sacrifice for others. We need these four words. And I think if we're going to grow together, if we're going to grow together with one another, and if, if, we're, if I'm going to be allowed to shepherd you well, I think there's some things we need to think through and talk through. We cannot ignore the injustice that continues to perpetuate in this nation. We can't do it. I think if there is any application to be made of this passage to advance the gospel, it is to the crisis that we are in right now. I don't know about you, but I have been utterly heartbroken. I have been utterly heartbroken and disgusted over the horrendous injustice I saw this week of a man being murdered on the street. It has destroyed me. And I know right now some of you are leaning away. I'm asking you not to do that. I'm confessing to you that the Lord has had to do a work in my heart around this issue of racism, and he still has work to do. So if I can say that to you, can you just say right back to me, you know that's true in your own heart, and let's grow together. Let's just grow together. Let's acknowledge we don't have this all figured out and grow together and I know some of you may think, man, that's just, this is divisive. I wish you'd stay away from... So just preach the gospel. Just preach the gospel. Stay away from these social issues. Well, here's how I would reply to that. It's with God's word. Micah chapter 6, verse 6. The prophet says this. With what shall I come before the Lord? And bow myself before God on high. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? The worshiper is asking, what does God want for me? What will please the Lord for me in, in my relationship with him? And here's the answer. He has told you. Oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Just that we are to do justice, not to hope that justice happens, not to wish that one day it would come, Not to say, I hope that it's here, maybe one day somebody else will get it done. No, it says that if we are believers in Jesus Christ, we have a holy obligation to do justice and to speak up and speak out against injustice. We have a holy obligation to do this. Listen, rioting is wrong. Burning down buildings is wrong. But if we are more grieved over a building being burned down than we are of a man being murdered in the street, then God help us. God help me. May it never be said of me. Martin Luther said, he who passively accepts evil is as much involved in it as he who helps to perpetuate it. Martin Luther King he who accepts evil without protesting it is really cooperating with it. May it never be said of us or the church of Jesus Christ that we passively accepted evil and didn't engage in injustice. The gospel moves us. Loving God moves us to love our neighbor. Why would we do that toward injustice? Because the gospel loves justice. The gospel loves pursues justice. And listen, it destroys racism and bigotry of any kind in any measure, wherever it finds it, whether it is publicly declared in arrogance, whether it is subtly hinted at, or whether it is tucked away in our heart and nobody sees it. The gospel deals with it, and like a tumor that needs to be lanced out, it eradicates it. I think this is why we see Jesus Approach the unapproachable. It's why we see Jesus walk over to those lepers who nobody loved and touch them. It is why we see Jesus go to that hated tax collector named Zacchaeus who didn't have a friend in the world and go to his house. I think it's why we see Jesus at the well go to the Samaritan woman. And then he pursued her for a relationship with her until he had won her heart. I think this is why we see Jesus call dirt poor fishermen and rich businessmen like Matthew to come and be his disciples. I think this is why we see Jesus standing right beside the woman called in adultery and not with the people accusing her. I think this is why he went to the outcast. It is why Jesus said we are to Take this message of gospel love to everyone, all nations, all races, all cultures, all people, and don't stop until you get to the end of the earth. That's the great commission, to love God in such a way that we are compelled to love our neighbor with compassion, drawing near to them, even when it is inconvenient and even when it involves great sacrifice. I need more of these four words in my life. I need to grow in compassion. I need to grow and be willing to draw near in proximity to those who are suffering. I need to be willing to be inconvenienced and put away my own agenda to meet the need of someone else. And I need to be willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to love my neighbor. Kind of, what do we do with this? Well, first question I would ask is, do you love God? And I don't mean that in a general sense. I mean, have you been transformed by the love of God? Are you loving God? Is there an affection in your heart for him that outweighs and outshines every other love you have in your life? Do you love God? And if you can answer yes to that, Pastor Matt, I love God. I've been transformed by the gospel. I love Jesus and what he's done in my heart. Then my next question is, are you loving your neighbor? Are you loving your neighbor? Are you loving the people who are suffering? Are you loving the people who are dealing with injustice? Are you loving the people who are without? Are you loving the hurting and the hopeless? This is the people that Jesus considered his neighbor, the people nobody else wanted to go to. Are you loving your neighbor? And if if you're like me, it may be that you need to pray the prayer David prayed in Psalm 139. You remember this prayer? David said what? Search me, O God. Search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any wickedness in me. And if there is, would you cut it out and lead me in the way everlasting? I've said before, just a week or two ago, that's a dangerous prayer. (laughs) That's a risky prayer, right? Because what if he does it? What if he does it? What if he does search your heart? What if he does try your thoughts? What if he does lance out the wickedness? What if he wants to do that surgery in our life? God, come and do it. Come and do it. Teach me to love you more. Teach me to love my neighbor better. Come and do that work. Let's pray together. Father, I love you and I'm so thankful for your word, God, and how it leaves no issue in our life untouched. And so, Father, I just pray right now that as we uh, rest in it, God, that whatever you have quickened in our spirit would not go away, but rather, Lord, that we would lean into it, that we would trust you with it. I pray that for myself. I pray that for our church. Lord, that we would be agents of change in this world and that our nation would see out on the front line of loving others, the church of Jesus Christ. Father, do this in us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.